0: Please be seated and good morning. By the year 1888, Alfred Nobel had achieved what many in society would deem to be greatness born with a fierce intellect and a tenacious work ethic. Alfred Nobel had excelled in all things. He excelled in school. He mastered multiple languages. Graduated with multiple degrees from schools in Sweden and France. He was extremely wealthy. I'm talking Jeff Bezos wealthy. And he had invented almost 355 different designs and, and numerous inventions. He held patents for all of them. Most notably, Alfred Nobel had invented a way to tame the volatile nature of the chemical nitroglycerin, an incredibly powerful and unstable compound. In the process, Nobel had invented dynamite, TNT, the world's first ever safe to handle explosive and it would change the world. Dynamite was an immediate success for Nobel and the TNT business, well, it boomed Are <laughs> you, John. Pretty soon, dynamite factories all over the United States and all over Europe. Pretty soon, these factories were constructed everywhere and engineering companies and mining companies, they approached these factories hand over fist, offering money. They paid all the money they could for this new technology that would allow them to build faster than ever before. Certain companies that also produced weapons of war also saw great potential in this new uh, compound, this new uh, invention, TNT. His explosive technology was used extensively in Europe's Crimean War. TNT changed the battlefield. So by, by 1888, Nobel was famous. He had achieved greatness. He was wealthy beyond all imagination. He had accomplished so much, and by many standards, he obtained greatness, or so he thought. All of that changed one day when Alfred Nobel was granted a rare yet horrifying gift of life he was given the opportunity to read his own obituary. You see, in 1888, Nobel's brother Ludwig died in Cannes, France, unexpectedly, and many of the local papers mistook Ludwig for Alfred. As news often does, the misinformation spread rapidly across the continent and across the world. And soon, newspapers all over the world were printing the passing of the great Alfred Nobel picking up one of the papers in his home, Alfred was horrified at what he saw. Printed across the front page was his photograph and above it with large black letters read, the merchant of death is dead. The newspaper continued and I quote, Dr. Alfred Nobel who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. Despite all of his accomplishments and all of his wild success, despite his fierce intellect and work ethic, despite his mountain of wealth, Alfred Nobel's greatness was only an illusion. His obituary, his reckoning with his own dark legacy, called him to reimagine what greatness really is, what it means to live a great life. I've been struck this week in thinking about the question burning among the disciples this morning in the gospel reading, who among us is the greatest? What does that even mean to be the greatest, to be great? At first thought, many of us might fall into a similar pattern of thinking as Alfred Nobel. We might think of greatness as our accomplishments, as our possessions, or or what we have earned in this life. After all, greatness in the eyes of society often evokes images of wealth, of domination, of influence, power. Rarely does an image of greatness bring to mind vulnerability or servanthood, or humbleness. Perhaps some of you, like me, think of sports, and you might think of the GOATs, the greatest of all time. Athletes like Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant, Tom Brady. Greatness, whatever you might be thinking about that word. I want to provide you this quote from amateur theologian and sword fighter Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride. You keep using that word, greatness, I don't think it means what you think it means. In today's Gospel from Mark, there are two offerings from Jesus that help the disciples and help us realize that we have completely misunderstood what greatness is really all about. The first offering comes in Jesus' response to hearing the disciples in their argument. He hears them confess, and it's a confession that is born out of silence. A silence that tells us that the disciples had been caught in their argument, that they had been found out. Jesus doesn't ask the question, what were you arguing about for his own sake? He knows what they were arguing about. He poses the question to them for their sake. So maybe they might take a step back, realize their misconception, and perhaps reframe their definition of Greatness. Place yourself in the disciples' shoes. After all this time following Jesus, after all that they have seen on the way, the miracles, the healing, the compassion, what does it mean to be the greatest? Have you been paying attention at all? Just as shocking today as it would have been 2,000 years ago, Jesus tells us that greatness, greatness lies not in our personal achievements or our bank accounts, our polished resumes or our padded LinkedIn accounts, but in being the last and the servant of all. What's more, Jesus adds to this lesson by placing before them a small child. Whoever welcomes me, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. At face value, this passage seems really simple, right? I mean, what could be easier than welcoming a child, a youth? Who wouldn't want to do that? But it's more complex than that. It's important to realize that at the time of Jesus, children were the lowest rung on the social totem pole. They had no rights, they had no social status, they had no particular economic value. So when Jesus says, welcome a child, he's not talking about youth, but rather what the child represents. And that's the sick, the needy, the disenfranchised, the poor, the hungry, those who are sleeping on our streets and under bridges or on our porch. He's talking about the least of these. Be great, Jesus says. We must welcome the least of these. We could stop there. Some preachers probably will. That would preach. We could do that. But there is something else worth telling in this scripture from Mark today. There's something here that adds an exclamation point to the lesson we learn in welcoming the children in our midst. The gospel passage on the greatest is framed against Christ's prediction of his death and resurrection. Christ is teaching us about life, about greatness, by giving us a glimpse of his obituary. It's no accident that these passages are right next to each other. Take a look at, at it with me, if you'd like. The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. Right at the beginning of this passage, Christ's prediction is a really small yet really awkward speed bump to the disciples. It would be really easy to ignore it and to focus only on the child metaphor, but there is something important going on. The the two are interrelated and we can't overlook it. Jesus' allusion to his death on the cross tells us even more about nature, the nature of greatness. And not only greatness, but divine greatness. Yes, to welcoming the vulnerable and poor. Yes, to embracing the sick and the needy and the overlooked. But what Christ makes clear in alluding to his passion, and alluding to his death, is that the welcoming of the poor, the welcoming of children, it comes at a tremendous cost. It will make you unpopular. It will make you uncool. And perhaps you might be despised by your friends and your colleagues for embracing the children in your midst. Greatness entails service and sacrifice that is sometimes a detriment to yourself. Greatness Jesus implies will lead to life and liberation for others and perhaps death for yourself. Greatness Jesus tells us is splendid, beautiful, painful, sacrificial love. Glimpses of greatness abound in our cathedral. And it's not in the beautiful architecture or the stained glass windows or the historic grounds. And the greatness isn't confined to our vestments or the Eucharistic vessels. It's not confined to the flowers, although all of these things are really nice. The greatness of our church, the true greatness lies in the actions of our church. And the way that we have welcomed, and the way that we continue to welcome the children in our midst. I've seen greatness, glimpses of it here, and it gives me life. Greatness is achieved when our youth in years past and in years to come will serve food at Church of the Advocate. Greatness is achieved when the generous hands of our congregation come together to build homes for Habitat for Humanity. Greatness is achieved in our healing work that we continue to do, forgiving one another, even in the face of intense hurt and frustration. Where have you seen glimpses of divine greatness lately? Where have you exemplified that greatness? If you're having a hard time thinking of an example, do not stress because greatness is a choice that we can choose to make every single day, divine greatness. Every day we have a choice to turn from the worldly greatness that values ego and money and fame and influence. And instead we can turn, we can pivot and we can embrace this radically welcoming, beautiful, brilliant, painful, splendid, sacrificial greatness of Jesus. I'm not going to make it rosy. Choosing greatness will be difficult. It will not be fun sometimes, it will not be comfortable, it will be unpopular. But I know it can be done. Because Alfred Nobel in his life made a similar pivot after reflecting on his legacy all those years ago after reading his obituary in the paper. You see, not long after reading that obituary, Alfred Nobel used his fortune to endow what we know now as the Nobel Prizes. There are five of them, and chief among them is the Nobel Peace Prize. He died a few years later, having donated nearly all of his money to charity. Nobel, the educated, the wealthy, the achiever, The man who turned himself from the merchant of death to a patron of peace shows us that it's never too late to pivot, to turn from human greatness to divine greatness. It's Never too late to embrace the children in our midst, and it's never too late to begin the hard redeeming road of sacrificial love.